Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay. I am. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health. I got the great Ryan Krim. I heard he's the crim of the crop <laughs> with me here today. Uh, Ryan, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How are you tonight, Kyle? I'm absolutely fantastic. Um, my fiance and I just got back from a little trip down to Florida, which we may be making permanent residence. But uh, other than that, I'm, I'm pretty good. How's, uh, how's things for you? Things are going great, yeah. It's good. Long work day today. Today's my long day, so but it was good. Oh, yeah, those can be a little rough. Um, I gave up the 13-hour work days when it came to working on cars just because it's like, uh, it, to me, it didn't seem worth it anymore. And yeah, getting up at, uh, you know, 4.30 in the morning and then getting to work for 6.37 and then work until 7 at night, man, that's not fun. But uh, that, it's, the show's not about me tonight. Um, it's all good, man. Yeah, I, I had... Um, I believe it was Joe Van Wagner who had originally told me to seek you out through yeah. – um, he's part of the Libertarian Party, and I don't know necessarily where you fall politically, but we can get into that. Um, sure. I guess give a little introduction of who you are and, uh, you know, what kind of work you do, and we can kind of pick apart from there and get to where, um, you know, maybe some different subjects and some stuff in your background there. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm uh, born in, in – uh, outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, a small town called uh, Burnville. Um, we used to have a ski slope, but we won't go check too far. Right now, you know, after going through school and stuff like that, I'm a family doc and I've been in the Carlisle area for about 22 years, minus a year. I spent, uh, my wife and I and all, we had three kids at the time, moved and worked in New Zealand for a year. Oh, that wow. Was, that was a lot of fun. Um, so, but right now I'm, I'm a family doc and uh, enjoying doing what I'm doing, and uh, it's 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 great. It's great to do this. <laughs> awesome, awesome, yeah. Um, so, as a family doctor, um, I guess real quick, what was your kind of main reasoning for getting into the medical field? Because as somebody who's very health inclined, um, and just a brief history of why, um, you know, my family had been very sick like a lot of people from my family had cancer bad backs and plenty of issues that affected their health and I looked at that and I never thought they were bad people I was like okay well whatever I can do to not end up like that 
I'm going to try to do that to the best of my ability. So what was your, uh, what kind of pushed you into the uh, medical field and perhaps more specifically being a family doctor? So, um, so I was a soccer player and I, I blew up my knee uh, when in my first year of college. And so I had to have an ACL repair and the guy that fixed me, I thought this was the coolest thing ever. You know, my knee was back. I could play soccer again. It was great. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. Finally decided, you know. And so I went to med school and then swore I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And then I followed him around and decided, you know, I don't want to spend my day inside a windowless operating room working on people. <laughs> so, and it was and it was kind of limiting. And I found, you know, I mean, it's great. I love love my orthopedic colleagues, but like um, it was it was sort of limiting. And I found the whole medicine to be sort of more intriguing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a uh, um, a course. One of the courses I had in medical school was uh, that a professor taught a Sherlock Holmes course. And so basically it was, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a physician and going through Sherlock Holmes, like all the, all the clues are there. It's just, you have to have the knowledge to be able to pick them out. So I thought that was fascinating being able to put that into the real world and practice when you're sitting in front of a patient, you know, is, is fun. And that's sort of like, you know, it's like when people come in with strange, a lot of things are, are pretty straightforward, but the things that aren't, you have to be able to sort of tease that out. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I guess the best way I can relate to that is um, in the field of automotive, which is where I work. Um, there's, you kind of have your routine stuff, kind of like you were saying, where it's like, okay, this is straightforward, you know, change oil, rotate tires, change an air filter, do a brake job, something like that. But uh, the wiring issues may make you want to bang your head off a wall because you're tearing apart an entire vehicle, which I've done more times than you could imagine, sometimes for not even the right reason. And finding that little broken wire amongst 30 other wires, that's such a satisfying feeling when you find it yeah. and fix it. And then you can see something visually, physically, functionally change. And it was because of the labor that you put into it. Now, it may not always be up to par when, you know, it may not be what you want. Like, you may not get paid what you want. Yeah. But um, the feeling of being able to fix something and objectively see something broken and then fixed is a very very good feeling do you kind of get the same fulfillment from your career oh absolutely yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah definitely so. cool cool so um over the uh, last two and a half years um i think what caused a lot of people to change the way they look at the world was this virus and perhaps maybe not the virus itself but the world's reaction because there have been plenty of pandemics and different things that happened to us as a species and we kind of moved past it. But it seems like this last one had really changed the way that society had fundamentally worked. And some people saw it and thought this was another bump in the road, but I really think there was a big paradigm shift and um, kind of going to the libertarians. There are some people that kind of got with the program and realized that we need to do something. And there were some people who just said, okay, I'm going to take a needle in the arm and wear my mask, be a good citizen, just to go along to get along. But I think as we all see that now we get further and further down the line and it's not, you go along to get along. It's now you have to do this. And now you hear people talk about social credit scores and things like this, where the, I don't want to say the Overton window, but the Overton window for the back of a letter word kind of shifts where you're 
metrics of compliance are now shifted over. And I feel like a lot of people in the medical field probably saw this and it seems, I'm gonna say that you probably from you know us talking in a brief sense, kind of felt this too and kind of saw this. So I guess um, let's start at the uh, long thread here of March of 2020, because you're in Pennsylvania as well. So March of 2020, um, I, I was just flipping through my um, pictures on my phone and I had a card at Fago de Chao, if you know what that is, it's a Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had it turned to green, right? And I took a picture of it. It was dated March 12th, 2020. And there was something like significant of looking back at that. And I realized the whole world changed in that moment. We got a text on our phones and we didn't realize that state of emergency that was declared here in Pittsburgh while we were eating steak was going to change the way that the entire world worked. We had no idea. So um, I'm sorry to kind of go on a long tangent here, but where, yeah, where were you early March, um, maybe even late February of 2020? And then I guess let's kind of pull the thread there and kind of discuss where you went from there. So where was Ryan Krim, March of 2020? So interestingly, I had actually just changed jobs into a new organization. So I, I had taken a break, actually a couple of year break from family medicine, um, just for family reasons. Um, and we, I decided that I just didn't want to do urgent care anymore. I sort of missed the relational aspect of family mm -hmm. medicine. And so I took a job with a new corporation, new company, and I had started there in the beginning of February. And then so sort of, and I, interestingly enough, and I swear I probably had COVID, towards the end of February, I got wicked sick. Like I don't <laughs> hardly ever get sick, negative for flu and everything, but you know, nobody, I mean, I guess it was in the air and sort of being talked about, but you know, there were no COVID tests, but yeah. so I was in bed for about, you know, three or four days and then I was fine. Um, so, and then I started back at work and I was already gung ho, we were ready to open brand new practice mm -hmm. and so it shut down and immediately we went from a new family practice care to your new COVID hotline so I mean we were averaging maybe 200 300 calls a day from patients it's like what's this do I need to worry am I gonna die Boom. holy crap yeah, yeah it was insane so yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was wild. So it was a wild time. And people were scared because, you know, you didn't have the information we really didn't mm -hmm. know. You know, at the beginning, everybody's like, you know, what's happening? So that sort of initial panic. And then sort of towards, you know, as we got further into it, things settled down. But that's where I was in March. It was, it was oh. a little wild and crazy ride. <laughs> Two to 300 calls. Holy crap. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was very, very bizarre for me because cars always break, right? These hands are always going to be turning wrenches no matter what, because you're never going to make a perfect vehicle. Right. But I knew something was wrong when I want to say it was late March, probably like March 20th to like 25th, when they said, you're going to get laid off. I mean, I have never heard in my life of mechanics getting laid off. Yeah. So that was what really shook my world. And I kind of called from the beginning. I remember, um, you know, your Facebook will pop up different memories from years ago. And I want to say it was about a week after everything broke out. At first, I was kind of like, all right, well, we don't know what's going on. But then about after a week, I'm like, we're definitely being lied to. And there's something going on. 
behind the curtain that we're not being told. And so I just literally typed, I'm not scared of coronavirus. And uh, I kind of look back at that and I'm like, you know, I planted my flag pretty early and I would like to believe that I was vindicated and that we were definitely told a lot of lies. And not that nobody died and not that nobody had a hell of a time with it because I don't know if I've really discussed this on the podcast, but my mom had it. And I mean, she's a three times cancer survivor. It kicked her ass, but she's such a warrior that she, of course, recovered and is okay. And she had put a needle on her arm at one point because she said that um, she just wanted to do it to keep her job. And, and I don't begrudge people for doing that, but um, she just decided, okay, this is a path of least resistance, but she still got completely walloped by this. So um, I guess a little tangential point I kind of wanted to uh, touch with you on here also is what was some of the information that you were getting in early 2020? And did you see it change as time went on? And as we started to kind of see like, okay, well, this clearly affects people who are obese or unhealthy with comorbidities um, differently than it does normal people, because you weren't being told that by the general news establishment, but it seemed like it was pretty obvious to most people who could just open their eyes and kind of read any kind of information that you would see that this affected people who were generally unhealthy. So um, to just kind of reiterate the question, what was some of the information that you were getting and what were your thoughts surrounding that from like early 2020 up until late 2020? Early 2020 to late 2020. So like, you know, I sort of, uh, sort of had a, I guess a similar journey towards you is sort of early on I sort of you know said I don't think that once this, the whole lockdown situation came in and all that came in and then you had the uh, Great Barrington Declaration you know like mm -hmm. these are revered scientists doctors yeah. far more you know intelligent than me he wrote this paper he came out with the strategy and uh, it was just like why why is this not being discussed why is this being suppressed why is this you know are we as scientists supposed to look at all options and stuff like that as opposed to just you know panic right and shut everything down and close everything down so i found it very frustrating and i found it very frustrating you know from you know if i look back at my facebook posts that's what i see myself writing about and getting in arguments about um but um you know, it, it just it just seemed, and and then on the ground, like the information was changing, like you know, because we didn't really know. All right, does does ZPAC work? Does hydroxychloroquine work? You know, what works? What doesn't work? You know, do we vent patients? Do we not vent patients? Do we turn them upside down when we're venting? Like you know, in in reality, a lot of doctors were working to sort of figure out, okay, how do we how do we best save lives? Because there were a lot of sick people, you know, and a lot of people flooding the hospital that maybe weren't sick, but were afraid they were sick. So, you know, ERs were overwhelmed, hospitals were overwhelmed. Um, and there was a real panic that this could eventually lead to something bigger, which fortunately it didn't um, in the long run. But, you know, in that first couple weeks, month or two months, you know, there was a lot going on and a lot of, a lot of learning going on. And then it's almost like, a lid came down and everything that could wasn't against the narrative like whether that's uh, i don't want to get you banned on anything like oh dude believe me it's too late <laughs> they already pulled my stuff over here and there but it's it's pretty rare but i've i've hit this stuff pretty hard um i've done a couple podcasts on the science surrounding obesity and the way covid right. spreads and different stuff right 
Yeah. Believe me, dude. <laughs> if they're going to come for us, they're going to come for us. <laughs> right. So, like, any any discussion on ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine yeah. or anything else that was outside sort of that range nor was immediately shut down. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and, and, and it's not like these medicines, you know, all medicines have side effects, right? Yeah. But, like, why even not try like so pretty early on we with the original thought was maybe azithromycin or z-pax would work and that was that was actually pretty well studied and said okay this doesn't work but those other two things weren't and just like any science i mean there's data from all over that you know and whether it's as great i don't know but just saying we're going to shut it down no lid and you got to follow the narrative sort of that top-down approach just just rub me the wrong way and then the other thing that bothered me is so i was always against you know mandatory flu vaccines you know in healthcare you're supposed to get your flu vaccine and if you don't you're supposed to wear a mask well the cdc and you're gonna have trouble finding any of this but when when they the hospitals were forcing employees to wear a mask if you didn't get the flu vaccine even before covid the studies on wearing the mask to prevent transmission of flu showed that masks don't really work so <laughs> right so and now we're talking about something that's smaller than the flu and, and you're going to wear a surgical mask and say it prevents transmission you know that's that's kind of silly right so um it just it just blew my mind i was aghast at what i felt like became like a non-science driven profession yeah and that's very very sad and shocking to me because um, as a guy who's very interested in health, as I've said earlier, um, yeah. you want to hold these studies and these sciences in a very, very high regard because, I mean, this is these are questions that need to be asked because this pertains to whether or not people can live or die, right? Yeah. So when we're studying different things and we're trying to find out what treatments work and what treatments don't, um, we need to have all hands on deck no matter what. And the conversation needs to be as open as possible amongst professionals and from professionals. So that way the average person like me or my fiance, my mom, whoever people that I work with can understand this and, you know, use the correct steps necessary to treat themselves or protect themselves. But when you just automatically arbitrarily block off all conversations surrounding ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, or whatever treatments, be it they work or they don't, right. when, you, when you completely censor them, now people, they, they feel like they're not being told the whole truth because they're not. Right. If you just allow people to talk about it and openly discuss and say, hey, these are the studies that show it doesn't work, then we can continue to have faith in institutions and trust what we're being told. But when you just arbitrarily block off that whole part of the conversation, now you're going to generate a lot of animosity and you're going to generate people who say, well, why is this being censored? If we can have an open conversation about them, we can shut it down. That's why it's so important to have free speech about these things, because this, once again, this is about whether or not people can live or die. Like, why should we not consider, like I said, why should we not have all hands on deck? So was it kind of, did it seem that way to you? Like they were kind of arbitrarily restricting information from you guys when it came to treating patients? And um, what was it like treating patients early on? So, um, you know, I guess elaborate on what your protocol was initially and, um, you know, what was the information that you were beginning, or, um, what were like you recommended to do initially? 
Um, so, so pretty early on, we learned that prednisone seemed to work pretty well. Right? Okay. So anti-inflammatory. So that was one of the things, and that's that's born for throughout, even still today. Mm-hmm. You know, prednisone is pretty good at, as an anti-inflammatory. Obviously, prednisone. Again, I'll reiterate: all medicines have side effects, no matter how good or bad they are. So, yeah. But that worked. So. Um, but the other stuff, you know, and, and remember going back, I just opened a brand new family medicine practice, but we were mostly on the COVID call line. So I wasn't necessarily treating patients. It was basically me triaging to like in, in, in triage. All right. So not sick, a little sick, or, or you got to go to the hospital. So those were the calls we were fielding because we really didn't have anything to say like, yeah, this works, try this, try that outside of, uh, outside of maybe steroids mm-hmm. um so you know i would talk about those other medicines but as things went on i said if you can get it you can try it you know we can try this we can do this see if your doctor will write for it because a lot of pe- the people that were calling in were more of my patients at that time so most of it i was just sort of dispensing the information that was coming out and then like i said it was almost sort of like like a a, a wall came down and you weren't allowed to talk about those things anymore after a period of time um again like i think in general um i i think if you'd ask most most people they would say this this was really kind of most physicians most nurses this is really kind of weird how this was handled again like you said maybe the stuff works maybe it doesn't work but unless we actually do the studies and find out you know and and i i listened to your podcast on on sort of diets and stuff and you have an idea of what goes into the science and actually reading statistics and figuring and teasing out the data. I think it's really, one, it's really hard to do that. You did <laughs> yes. a great job, by the way. Thank you. And then two, like statistics are also easily manipulated. So oh, absolutely. what you're talking about, like you can run an analysis that will give you the results you want, but that, that doesn't mean the study was powered correctly. It doesn't mean that the subjects were correctly. It doesn't even mean that the question they asked was the right question for the answer that they got, right? So it, it's complicated. Um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've really made a bastardization of science, and it's funny. Um, the science has become such like a uh, yeah, yeah. The science TM. It's such a joke now, and I, I really hate that because, like yeah. I said, I read studies. I try to relay information to people so that way they're armed with the tools to make better decisions going forward about their health. But when you make such a bastardization of science and you don't do science correctly, when you objectively assess the lockdowns and vaccination and treatments for COVID and the way who's dying from COVID and you don't objectively say, okay, well, what we did didn't work. These are the people who are dying, and this is perhaps what we need to do going forward. Then you're not—you're no longer operating in science. You're operating in politics, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it, it's no longer about objectivity and saying, "Okay, this didn't work. How do we pivot to do something that's more effective?" That was never done, right? Which is mind-boggling to me. Is the people who champion the science? Um, once again, if you're going to say that you're science-based and you're evidence-based and you're fact-based, then Clearly, the states that locked down, if this was the science, they should have been much better off. But now we can look back at two years and say, literally, all this that you did, the destroying of people's lives was for absolutely nothing. Um, the 
when you ramp up unemployment to 15% for a period of time, um, per 1% of unemployment, um, I think it's about 37,000 deaths will happen over the course of six years to do that unemployment. So right there at 15% of unemployment, you have half a million deaths from unemployment alone when you lock down the country. And obviously there's more nuance to this conversation, but I mean, that's just looking at unemployment alone. So did we do a cost benefit analysis? Right. It doesn't seem like we ever did. Right. And I have, uh, so one of my, I work a lot in Haiti and stuff like that, but you know, there was, there was actually pretty, pretty soon after both the who, and there was an article in New York times talking about how lockdowns were going to kill more, more people than COVID in sub-Saharan Africa. Right. Yes. Because like there was just, and you know, and it's that that information's out there, but people just didn't want to talk about it. You know, you're disrupting global supply lines. You're gonna disrupt, you know, already people who are already living on the margins, you know, you take away their ability to access just regular care because they're locked down and can't go anywhere. They're gonna not survive. And it just was it just was horrendous. So, and who knows what the cost, you know, I mean, have we even revisited that and seeing what the total death is uh, so like what you're saying yeah the cost of it i mean for me what i'm seeing now every day is i see like depression suicidal ideation increased drugs increased alcohol use you know it's 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 a misery wow okay so you know what i guess a uh, appropriate question to ask here then would be what's your uh, demographic like because you're in reading so i'm guessing reading's a little bit more of a rural area because i want to say that's about four hours east of me um so i grew yeah. i grew up i grew up there but right now i'm in carlisle Okay, I'm sorry. So yeah, what's your uh, typical demographic like? Because some of the studies that came out in mid 2020 were that suicidal ideation amongst people of my age group from like 18 to 30 years old had increased, I think it was like five times. So it went from like around less than 10% all the way up to a quarter of all yeah. teenagers, one in four had considered suicide within the last couple of months. And that was in mid 2020. I mean, that is yeah. absolute insanity to me. And it seems like your experience was something similar to that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So my demographic, like I see zero to, I mean, we have a, Carlisle is a very unique town because we got Dickinson College, the War College. We mm -hmm. have the car shows here. I don't you know, oh, yeah. Down, <laughs> so, yeah. But, but it's a neat little town. And, and, but then right outside town, you know, you've got your farmers, your Amish, your Mennonites. So I my it's, it's, it's a great little town. I love it here, you know, um, and I love my, love doing, like I said, I love my patients because it is so diverse. You know, I'll see, I'll see someone from Nepal and then a college professor, a war college guy, and then a farmer, and then, you know, just somebody who is living in poverty and stuff and the range and gamut makes it, makes it interesting. Um, but going back to, to like, in terms of the, the depression and stuff that you're talking about, I, I think if anything, it's, it's only compounding because not only now are you having the increased rise in depression, suicidal ideation, now you can't even get in to see a therapist. I mean, our wait list to get into therapists locally, and I think even in the wider state area, is six, six months to nine months. Sometimes some places are even up to a year, right? Whoa. You can't find a counselor. You can't find a psychiatrist. So that puts a lot of the burden back on like family docs, internists, uh, pediatricians and stuff to treat, especially the younger kids, which are sort of, you know,
I had I actually had no idea the wait list for that long. I mean, six yeah, to nine months. That is a long time for people to fiddle and consider and stew on things that could be so horrible that they're contemplating ending their life over. Um, and, and as a person who used to deal with those kind of issues, and I no longer anymore because of health and nutrition and me just becoming, you know, better off in my life. Um, six to nine months is just a hell of a long time to carry, you know, what may feel like the one person, the weight of the world on their shoulders. And especially when your purchasing power of your money's being, you know, stolen from you at a rate unforeseen in our entire lives. And then being told for years on end now at this point that you were not essential. So we could put you out of work. It's, I don't have words for that. It's insanity. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. You're right. Like, you're not essential. Like, why? that's a, that's incredibly devaluating, right. you know, to, to a person, in, no matter what profession you're in. So mm -hmm. whether you're a server or, you know, what, whatever you do, like, I mean, one of the biggest things people struggle with is their sense of self-worth and you're taking away, you know, maybe the job was the thing that was keeping them alive. Maybe their home situation is shit. And, you know, they have terror when they go to work to escape and now you're locking in a house and not letting them earn a living or talk to people that might give them a break from, you know, maybe an abusive spouse or, or whatever the case may be. So, right. Yeah. I mean, so I don't, I, I don't, I think we'll be studying this for years and years and years. And the, the, the side effects will. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's so much to unpack when it comes to the lockdowns and the effects that they had on our society as a whole. And I'm almost kind of scared that this will go down as some kind of brave act to save the people in yeah. history books. I, and I haven't heard people talk about this a lot, but um, you hear people say history is written by the victors, but think about that. And how it pertains to our situation because we were told that this was the right thing to do and who's going to tell the story that we're talking about right now of the people who were told they were non-essential and all the lives that were taken and lost due to lockdowns because these people lived hand to mouth perhaps and um weren't able to make a living for the day so they starved to death or in other countries where they couldn't export because of the disruptions to the global supply chain um, you're not going to hear about that in the history books. And that's a very, very dark thing to consider that going forward, people may think that this is just something normal. So um, I guess a question there would be, um, when you speak to people about this, since you're a family physician and you've had to kind of see people through perhaps some of this, um, does it seem like a lot of people are concerned about this happening again, or does it seem like people thought that this was the right thing? So I, I have a little bit of a mixed plate because you come at, like I said, I have college here. And so right. on one side mm -hmm. and then there's, there's my farmers and uh, <laughs> yeah, that are on another side, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's kind of everything in, in between and stuff like that. So um it's 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 kind of a, a little bit of whiplash going from one to another and sort of you know walking that line yeah um, to uh to to tours because because my my ultimate goal is like well i am 
I consider myself very political in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and while I'll carry some of that in, especially in my ethical treat, in my, my ethics as I go in and talk to patients, you know, I try not to, um, like occasionally I'll say something, but, but most of the time it's, it's sort of walking that line. Mm-hmm. And if I disagree with them, I don't say anything to reinforce their beliefs per se. <laughs> but um, so I, I guess, I guess what you were asking though, to go back to the original question is, you know, how, I think people are very, feel very disenfranchised, you know, and there's hopefully a little bit more questioning about like uh, what our government is and what our government does. Mm -hmm. And is this really, you know, what we want as Americans to have our government be that they can shut us down. Right. Have that power to do so. Yeah. It's a very daunting thing to think that they could, do what they did to us and that they did do what they did to us over the last couple of years. And you'd know just as well as I do being in Pennsylvania, that we were one of the worst States for it. And, um, Tom Wolf, huh? yeah, yeah. Good old Tom Wolf. Um, yeah. one thing I tell people about all the time that really cemented how serious this was, was my fiance had worked for Phillips at the time and they built, um, the respirators and everything was, she got a note from her job and it said, if you're pulled over by the police for being outside, then you you can show them this, and this is your permission to go outside. It was the most bizarre thing in the world to me to think that she had to have a note to leave her house. And it's, it's literally showing your papers. It's insane to me that in America, we're supposed to believe that it's, it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, but my fiance was literally held or had a note that said she was allowed to be outside of her house. Yeah, I had that too. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. I, I, like, and to think that now people think that we're going back to life as normal. Um, a lot of this stuff has stopped and has kind of withered by the wayside. It's very, very unpopular. But I, that precedent being set kind of lets you know that this can and likely will happen again it's it's jarring and it's very just awful to consider yeah it's an arsenal now in the toolbox you know so Mm -hmm. what if i mean because pandemics are going to happen so and especially you know i not to go too far into conspiracy like you know but Mm -hmm. like wuhan and like was there an intentional release? Was not an intentional release? Like, what? What is actually the story? I don't think we're actually. I mean, maybe, but I would hope that maybe someday someone will figure it out. But you know, like, and they can they continue to do biomedical research, and and not that all that research is bad, but you got to think that um, they're they're using these viruses. So is there going to be a, something that's developed that's even worse? Maybe. Like was this a test run? Is this? And I don't want to go too far down that that road with the conspiracy stuff, but it makes you wonder, right? And so, yeah. like, all right, now, like in Ukraine, right? So, okay, there's biomedical research labs there. What are they cooking over there? What are they doing over here? I mean, I think I used to like enjoy in my downtime reading what um, Dan Brown. You know, the, what did he write? Now I'm blanking on it. And Tom Hanks was in the Anyway, he wrote like conspiracy, but one of the last books he wrote was a virus that uh, caused sterility, 
you know, sort of like Thanos' snap and stuff like that. Yeah. So, all right, so we want to cut down on the global population. Why not release a virus that causes sterility? You know, it doesn't have to kill anybody. Yeah, but people so, would but never term, know. Yeah, but in terms of the shutting down, you're right. Like, does that mean we shut down not just for like a pandemic? Can we shut down for like, oh, there's riots. Oh, someone could be storming the Capitol. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Quote, storming the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, quote, quote, unquote. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know uh, farting on the desk and uh, walking into the Capitol was uh, storming it. It was. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah it's, I know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can take this. And, and, and you know, I, 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 I force myself to believe that in general, like, I, I think you can believe that people are in generally good or people are generally bad. And I, I want to believe that people are generally good. Mm -hmm. I don't know that our leaders are generally good. I, I agree. I sincerely agree. And it's very, very sad to think that way. Um, my buddy, Tommy Sammons, who runs the Year Zero podcast, him and I talk all the time. But I really like the way that he frames kind of the global leaders and how people as a whole think. So when you think about libertarians, um, we kind of read all the same literature, right? Well, what would make you think that the global elites and the leaders and those who are cracking the whips are any different that they don't all read and think in a similar fashion right. so and when you read a book like ordinary men i bring up this book all the time just because it's so interesting um a book like ordinary men about the reserve police battalion 101 in nazi germany wasn't about that police battalion it wasn't about nazi germany it was about the psychology of human beings and the horrors that can be done by just pushing you slightly out of your comfort zone for the worse continually and over time until the point where you literally are murdering pregnant women in fields and feeling shameless about it. And this goes to the idea of the Overton window where you constantly shift and shift and shift and shift until you get to a point where what we would like to see, right? A world of free people and voluntary interactions what we would call ancapistan right um that is so foreign that you can't even imagine it anymore and it really seems like that's what's been pushed on us over the last two years especially but just this uh tiptoe towards tyranny mm, good yeah. yeah yeah i yeah i mean i i agree i i wish uh, you know and i think people are are you know, maybe that's what these whole January 6th hearings are about. You know, you, you resist, you protest, you know, we'll show you what we can do to you. So like, um, you know, like David Koresh, go back as far as you want. Like one of my buddies was the doctor uh, on staff. He was, a, he was a former special forces and was a physician. And he was there during the whole... Uh, Thing that went down in Waco and he was also at Ruby Ridge. Oh no way. So, yeah. So I mean it's it's not like oh, any of this is anything new, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. just about increasing control and increasing power and centralization of power and control. Right. So and then and then we get our bread and circuses. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Gives a little bit of food and a little bit of entertainment. That's kind of what it seems like January 6th and this January 6th committee is meant to do for, mm -hmm. and it, 
almost literally does seem like entrapment. And I, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of smoke there. Yeah, there sure is. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of interesting stuff that uh, seems to not be being talked about. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's very convenient to. Oh, and, you froze. <laughs> I don't know. I got um, you. I got you. Yeah, my internet connection sometimes is a little shoddy. I, it's all good, man. I always joke about, you know, strangling the Comcast guy. But um, it, it's very interesting. And you could even take this to even including Trump in this. And I, I'm like, I go back and forth. It's like, was he controlled opposition or is he just so stupid that he couldn't get anything done? Um, to have a leader who says, let's go stand at the Capitol, but then there's agents there that are saying, let's go into the Capitol because there was a gentleman named Ray Epps who got magically yeah. removed off the FBI's most wanted list. Just somehow he got removed. Nobody knows how, but he just got removed. But then he was found at the Capitol. They went into the Capitol, entertainment. And then now these people are being thrown in solitary confinement without bail. I mean, in gruesome conditions that should be reserved for, I don't know, people who commit mass murder, genocide, lock people in their homes, um, not farting on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Um, these people are being kept in those conditions. And now we're be we have a whole committee just talking about this god-awful day two years. It it's it's mind-boggling to me that this is where we are, that uh, a, I don't even want to call it a protest. It was a bunch of assholes that went into somewhere they weren't supposed to go. And really all it should have been is, hey, don't do that. Just be yeah. safe and go home. But they're throwing everything they can at these people and they're putting on this giant show. And we're supposed to believe that this is all legit and that there was no foul play. I, I have a hard time suspending my disbelief. <laughs> I do as well. I, I very much do as well. It, it just seems a little bit, a little bit, a little bit too contrived, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely seemed like there were a lot of strings pulled and like they're really pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. Yeah. And it just, I guess, I guess that's the other thing too. Like, you know, that's, that's the thing when we talk about like just sort of the suppression of science, you know, it's, it's the su suppression of information in general um, by um, sort of social media or, or networks or other things in general. Like, you know, we should be, like when I was in, when I went to college, you know, I mean, like we would argue about everything, you know, the color of the sky, the moon, it didn't matter. There was no topic off limits, yeah. you know, all right, you're going to justify like the, one of the most, you know, pick a horrific leader from the historical past. All right, defend his actions. All right, how can you defend his actions? Right. So, like, but, but, and then, like, it was, it was, it was all this open discussion, right? And so, like, I don't know that we really have the ability to communicate in that way anymore. So, mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, it's not just the fact that that things get shut down or labeled as misinformation or things like that. But two, we sort of find ourselves in echo chambers. So like, one of the things that I love best is having friends that are different, think different than me and have, you know, maybe, maybe they're socialists, maybe they're very, very much more right wing than I am. And being able to sit down and 
have a conversation and have an argument, but still leave it like with some respect, with with actual respect for each other. And like, okay, you think differently than I, but at least I know where you're coming from, all right? I mean, and, and the same thing in medicine, like, so going back to medical studies, I mean, there's there's big debate and doctors, are, all right, so are, are stents a better way to treat heart disease or is actually doing uh, coronary artery bypass grafts better? Well, it depends on your population. Cardiologists and cardiothoracic surgeons will argue back and forth about which way is better, both in good faith and both leave friends and both with the goal to improve patient lives. And that's not what we saw during COVID. And that's not what we're seeing in politics today, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I, I miss that. I miss that ability to, like it, it to have a, a really, really good argument with someone. I do have that. I have friends that certainly do, but like just in general, I think in society. Yeah, at large, it does seem like our ability to have a dialogue has decayed quite a bit. And I feel like a lot of it's because the political power now is so important for one side to have mm-hmm. what they want that it has to be you suppress the other side to the best of your ability. And this is where I kind of understand where, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, group who call themselves post-libertarians. And it's an interesting dynamic because it's like, okay, well, at what point do you have to say in order to beat your enemies, you have to employ some of their tactics? Because at this point, it doesn't seem like us just saying, obey the non-aggression principle, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like saying that to enough people is going to work. So how do you walk that fine line of saying, okay, I'm a principled person, but I'm willing to take a stand at a certain point to defend my freedom and the liberty of myself and others. Um, I don't know where that line starts and I don't know where it ends, but the line needs to be drawn somewhere because we're losing ground consistently. So at some point you have to say, we're not taking this anymore and maybe even push back a little bit. Um, And that's an uncomfortable thing for libertarians to consider, but um, I don't know what else to do to advance liberty for other people. You look at someone like Ron DeSantis. um, I, I hate him mostly politically because he's a Zionist, he's a neocon, he's for Israel. Um, he, he checks all the boxes of, you know, basically George Bush 2.0. Right. But how are you going to argue against the liberty that he's enabled his people of Florida to live and experience? It's hard to argue that. So, you know, maybe you can make an argument for something like that. I don't know that I would 100% agree, but okay, well, what's the argument against it? What's the argument for it? I want to hear the dialogue of both sides because we need to figure out how we're going to live in a freer society. And if that means using state power over here and there to free people, I don't like it, but what other options do you have? And there's a great conversation to be had there. And I like hearing these ideas being fleshed out because once again, I'm all about how do we create a free society? Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I, I, I don't know where, like, I'm, I'm like, you know, it's sort of like in, like, I think like almost all strategies need to be applied to sort of see what, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the trial by fire, you know, okay, what's gonna work, <laughs> what's not going to work, right? So mm-hmm. we, and we don't know until we really try it to figure that out. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the post-libertarians have a thought or maybe they're full of it. 
you know um maybe maybe what we're doing maybe what the mises caucus is doing is going to succeed you know and how do you get there maybe what someone like uh what uh oh man nicole sauce and jack spirico are doing is is, is the right path maybe what um um it's he's not Vin anymore which is what's yeah is doing is the right way to go i mean mm -hmm. Maybe Jason Stapleton and the building wealth and what Tom Woods is sort of shifting towards that stuff. Like, you know, I, I think the more strategies that you have that increase freedom, the more likely that something's going to succeed or you'll find some pocket. I think just picking, all right, this is the only way and this is the only path is maybe not, not the best. Yeah. And I think you and I 100% agree on that because it is kind of like, okay, well, this kind of goes I, I am a member of the Mises Caucus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, of course. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. I completely agree. And I think this is something that all sides should kind of see eye to eye on and say, hey, obviously none of our strategies thus far have worked, but we're mm -hmm. seeing new energies, new voices coming out in these specific movements. Why don't we all kind of appreciate, respect what everyone's doing and kind of encourage them to, to be the best versions of themselves in whatever endeavor they're doing and support them in that. And then whichever one works the best, you know, let's start focusing more energy there. But to just say, like you were saying, one way, you know, my way or the highway, I think that's arbitrarily limiting yourself to a lot of potentially good options. And that's why I don't ever staple myself 100% with anything. Um, I would say my bias is towards the LPMC, but I'm gonna hear absolutely everybody out and I wanna hear all the strategies because if this doesn't work, okay, well then where should we properly allocate resources next? Right. I don't know, you know, what's going to bring about liberty, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. And it's something that we should think about and talk about a lot. So um, I guess real quick, what brought you to the LPMC? Have you always been a libertarian? And if not, what brought you to it? So, so I'm, an, I'm an, like an old man. So like I think uh, back <laughs> in college, uh, one of my roommates or apartment mates, he was a Buddhist priest. Actually went to Japan and did that. He said, "Hey, I think you're a libertarian." And I didn't know what that was. So then, of course, I I read it, Ayn Rand, and then I went from there. Right. So that's wow. yeah, a long, long time ago, back in the early '90s. Mm -hmm. So I guess, and then I really probably didn't know much about the party and until like maybe sort of the early mid 2000s and stuff like that. And then the Mises Caucus, I guess, sort of my son. So I've we have four boys and one girl. So uh, uh, yeah, the three of the boys are, are, two of the boys are very much into politics and they're like, oh, listen to this, listen to this. I think you'll like this because they sort of follow where I go, like my political thoughts. And they're like, so I started listening to different podcasts. And I was like, oh, I kind of like what Dave has to say and all those guys and Robbie and, and Michael Heiss. And so that sort of took me towards the Mises Caucus, I guess, in the end. Um, but, you know, I've, I've yeah, there's so so many different voices out there and, and and listening to all of them and like i said man like you do a bang up job talking to people so i i really do appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and one thing i'll say going back so that's sort of my journey i guess so yeah it's a little bit boring. but going back to what you're talking about in planning strategies i mean think about it like and i have 
I love my local mechanic because he's a boss and he's yeah. just, he works for himself. He has his own shop. He's a boss. I'll take it in and he'll tell me I can't do this or I can do this or this is what's going on. And it's sort of the same thing, right? Like you're coming in with a, 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 an issue and you've got to be willing to change your strategy because maybe you're thinking, ah, this is pretty common. I'm going down this line. And then all of a sudden it's not what you think it is and, and you have to, adapt like on the fly to figure out to make the customer happy and it's the same way in medicine i might think all right they're coming in they have a cough some shortness of breath a little bit of fever eh, they got sinus infection or pneumonia and then they come in the next day and their legs swollen they're not better oh well now you have a pulmonary embolus i have to completely change my mindset and think of other things right so i'm sure you do that in your line of work all the time because sometimes things aren't what you think they're going to be right mm -hmm. and it's the same way when we're employing strategies whether they're political or social i mean i guess i guess if i was going to make a push I, I one of the things that i wish libertarians would do more of would be sort of community involvement sort of like like let's throw let's show how we as a community can help lift up our community right because no matter where we live right there's poor people there's people on the margins right so what are we actually doing to help them if we're just talking politics or talking about doing different things and i'd love to see more like building a park like going out like this is how we're going to help you that kind of stuff if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Um, one kind of thing that happened over the last week, um, I don't know if you listen to the naturalist capitalists at all, but um, <laughs> um, me and Reed are pretty tight. And um, nice. That's nice. I've, I've listened to Reed. I haven't, I, it's on my list. I only have so much time in the day. So if you're tight with him, to yeah. apologize to him that I haven't spent the time to listen. Oh, no, no, I'm sure he's, he's fantastic. But um. Great. Ever since I started this show, he was, I think, my ninth guest on, and he's probably been my most featured guest. Um, and my reason for bringing him up is that he stayed all over the country with different people from the Libertarian Party and yeah. didn't have to pay for a single night in a hotel. And one of the places that he stayed was in here. I mean, he was <laughs> the first guest I ever had in studio to shoot the shit with. And it, it was... Uh, he brought this up to me, and this was a critique I had of the Libertarian Party approach. He said it seemed like a lot of people who were in the Libertarian Party were relatively uninteresting, boring people. And I think there still is a degree of that. But what's so great about the Mises Caucus is this culture and this community that is being built. And this kind of goes to what you're saying is that, yeah, we're starting to see this kind of build out and Reed sitting here in this room with me and staying down in the basement and him and I going out to eat um, is an example of that, right? Now, it may not be that blown out and that great of an example that may not be that applicable in every single scenario, but it's a start, right? Yeah. This guy was able to go to four or five different states and have a house to stay in and somewhere that he knew he'd be okay to, you know, hang out with people and be taken care of. Yeah. Um, that's huge, right? Yeah. And this oh, is because yeah. of a political party. So right. what does this look like a couple of years down the road when you have um, people who rally around candidates, when you have another Ron Paul revolution, perhaps? And, uh, you know, we don't know what that looks like years down the road. And I think that's the most promising part of the Libertarian Party and what's going on in it right now and why 
I say that the LP is my vice because I see this community building now. And maybe that is some people's callings to be a better person is that they want to be a better person for the Libertarian Party of East Caucus. So that way, when their friends need help, they could be that guy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. It is. It is. Yeah, I heard you talk about that. All right. Was it your last podcast you did? You were talking about Reed a little bit. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, he was able to travel around. I thought I think that's awesome. But I do think it's a network. And I do think I do think that ability to call people like um so you know, Robbie was at my house two weekends ago. Right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah that was that was awesome. And mm-hmm. we I have a pool table, we shot pool, we shot guns. You know, walked around in the woods and then did a podcast. And I was bragging on the podcast. I was bragging about my hamburgers that I was smoking, and they turned out to be the worst. And the brisket actually turned out to be good. So, but it was funny. You know, we were able to laugh. And I don't know. It's it's you're absolutely right. And I feel like you're right. I feel like if in the in the Mises Caucus, if anybody was in need and is in this area, you're welcome to my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming over. So. And, you know, I'm sure you feel the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the people I've met at Libertarian events, um, yeah. they're all great people. And I truly do think it is a great community to be a part of. And um, unfortunately, just the position I'm in my life right now, I'm so freaking busy all the time that I haven't been able to um go and help out as much as I perhaps should. My brother's kind of stepped into my place. But, um, you know, I'm glad that I get to have people like yourself um, John Odermatt and other members of the Libertarian Party on this podcast to talk about That's things that matter to them. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's been a hell of an experience. And like I said, I do think that we see this community building and what that looks like years down the road is going to be something truly special to each individual area. And I hope that I get to play a role in this in the future. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way as somebody who's very, very well educated on um, <clears throat> your practice and playing things beyond that. Um, I think we're all going to have our roles. And I, I think it's going to be something unlike we've seen before, because I, I, I don't see that in the Republican Party. I don't see that in the Democrat Party. Um, and, and there may never be a libertarian president. But, um, you know, as I've said before, it may be a little bit of like a cheesy allegory, but maybe it is the friends we made along the way. And maybe that's going to be more important than whoever holds office and not to say that we shouldn't pursue that, but um, maybe the community that we've built is what's most important in the real world. Man, I'm down with that. Mm. I'm down with jamming with you sometime too. I'm looking at your guitar collection over there. So I got like this little, little thing sitting behind Mm. me, you know, my acoustic, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I got quite a collection. I want to grab my camera because I may, it may disconnect, but uh, I think I got, about 15 of them there yeah yeah <laughs> that's I got, awesome, brother got a, got a few yeah yeah that's sweet all right that's man sweet. yeah we've been shooting the shit for about an hour now i don't want to keep you any longer well actually i already kept you a little over an hour because of uh technical difficulties on my end <laughs> ryan this has been a, a fantastic time i got a couple questions i ask every single guest and then we'll close her out um what sure. does liberty look like to you what does liberty look like to me? So liberty means the ability for me to act inside my moral principles the way I want to act. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Yeah. Um, what does health look like to you? 
Whew. Health means the being the best version of yourself that you can be. It means trying to trying to limit your vices, whatever those may be, because we all have them. Whether and being able to focus and being able to live the life that you want to for as long as you want to do, and be able to do the things that you want to do in that life. So being healthy enough to do the things that you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I know uh, my vice is uh, junk food over here and there, but. Uh, you know, I, I oftentimes say you got to adjust for the highest quality of life. And sometimes uh, enjoying a milkshake with your fiance is pretty nice. Or, you know, like three margaritas, you know, something like yeah. that. <laughs> good, man. Um, yeah. Uh, Ryan, is there anywhere you want people to find you? Um, any place where people can maybe check out your practice or um, just, you know, anything you got going on? Sure. I mean, I work for... Uh, I'll say I, I'll say the organization. I guess what's good. I work for Wellspan. They're a great organization. Um, I, I do like them. Obviously, there's ups and downs with everything. Um, but I'm on Facebook. I, I really don't have a presence uh, otherwise on social media. I guess I should change that. But I try and avoid. You know, I only have so much time in the day. I will plug my son's stuff. He has, he's on Substack. He writes a, a column called uh, Doomer Insights. Um, yeah, so he's, he's, he's a character. So uh, he's right now in Peru with his fiance, who's Venezuelan, and we're trying to get her to come to, get her a visa to come to the States. Man, that's a whole other conversation. Holy shit, dude. Trying to get someone here. I mean, they it's it's going on two years, so mm -hmm. it's insane. Yeah. yeah well, hopefully uh, they get that all situated, and uh, I'm sure Peru is yeah. absolutely beautiful. We were, uh, like I said, just in Florida, and it was uh, is incredible. But I imagine Peru is probably a whole different animal than Florida. So oh, man, uh, you you'd be surprised. Uh, so where where they were in Cusco was amazing, but Lima, gray skies, it's it's not great to yeah so we'll talk about it. you gotta go man so yeah anyway. no, no, it's, it's all good yeah all right um ryan this was a, a fantastic chat and i think people are gonna get a lot out of it um we'll definitely do it again sometime man and uh yeah this was a uh just just a good chat so um yeah um, thank like you so much for having me okay, i really appreciate it you okay. have a great night Enjoy the fiance. Married 26 years. It's important. That's liberty, man. Having a family and love. Yeah, you know what? I, I completely agree. And I try to stress that to people as much as possible. Um, you know, I always say that like the politics, stuff like that, that's so just bullshit compared to your everyday life. And, you know, we're going to have a family here, hopefully in the next couple of years. And right now I get to come home to a happy fiance and a couple dogs that jump all over me. And then, you know, and uh, hopefully five years, I'll be some kids. So uh, yeah, man, that's, that's way more important than anything political, but um, yeah, man, thank you for coming on. And I'm glad I was able to give you the opportunity. So uh, yeah. Um, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed, make sure you like subscribe and share got that one in there and uh yeah <laughs> until next time everybody rock and roll and take care